Well, maybe it's like Casey says. Fella ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then... Then what, Doc? Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere. Wherever you can look. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy. I'll be there. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. I don't understand it, though. Me neither, Ma, but just something I've been thinking about. You're listening to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. From sports to gardening, from good food with close friends, to great music and movies. Provided by your hosts, Cody Stoffer, the reluctant Gen Xer, and Craig Morton, the token baby boomer. These guys are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but they will be entirely by accident. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's right. Two hosts, Gen X or Cody, Boomer Craig. And a co-host. We're going to find out. You know, our guest co-host is just grinning in the background, just waiting to get started. <laughs> oh, speaking of our co-host... You know what the theme is this week that we're going to be talking about? Well, you know, so Advent goes through four different weeks, uh, joy, peace, uh, wealth and health and gospel. What, what is that? I'm pretty sure that's important. I don't remember that one. And, and love. I love. Think we're mi- oh, that's right. That's what we're missing. Well, Craig, I have a question for you. What? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Craig, what's love got to do with it? You know, I'm really glad you asked that question. <laughs> well, should you, well, have you looked at the lectionary passages for uh, the, the week of love? I have. I've skimmed through them a little bit. They, 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 they speak over and over and over again about love, don't they? <laughs> I mean, it just jumps off every the line. You can so, see it everywhere. So yeah. plain and obvious. And, you know, it's so obvious. We probably don't need any expert help at all with, but, with love. <laughs> but so we have a love expert. We That's do. not like dating advice. <laughs> <laughs> the love expert. We, now, listeners to our show will recognize our co-host. That's right. We have a special co-host. And you might recognize him as one of our early on interviewees. His name is Dr. Thomas J. Ord. We known. That's right. We nicknamed him on the show, the outlaw theologian of love. He's here to explain. You know, we never asked him how he likes that moniker. <laughs> I can live with it. Although I think, 
I think when you're talking about expert on love, everyone who's over a certain age was thinking Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth, yep. <laughs> hey, now Dr. that angle on these texts? I don't know. <laughs> now there's Dr. Drew. You know him? He's also the love expert. Uh, We're talking about something a little different, though, aren't we? In fact, uh, we brought well, on Dr. Thomas Ord because he has written several books about love. He's defined love. He's, he's, he is a scholar of love. And so we want to invite him on to kick us off by describing for us his take on a full-orbed love. So mm -hmm. welcome to the show, co-host. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. And by the way, you're adding another extra to the mix. I'm barely in the extra category. Are you really? Yeah. Do you want to know, technically, I am, I'm on the fuzzy gray. I was born at the last couple months of 1980, so I could go... Yeah. I could go X or I could go millennial. So yeah, well, I was born in 65 and depending on what sociologist you talk yep. to, I'm either barely in it or in it by about five years. Yep. Same yeah, you, here. you can be what's called a tweener. Yeah, yep. there you go. that's right. <laughs> I mean, the Gen X is in the, uh, well, it's like, well, when did you get your first real job after, after education? How old were you? Uh, first real job. Uh, let's see. I guess when I became a professor and I was about, <laughs> 30. Oh, no, no. I was a youth pastor before then. So I had a real job at age 23. Oh, okay. Are so you yeah, counting so you... youth pastor as a real job? <laughs> yes, true. Well, they paid me a full salary. So okay. Okay. <laughs> One of the things is the economic issues of the Gen X and baby boomers. So baby boomers who get a later start because of education or, you know, maybe they're in the military or doing something else and they enter the salary based economy mm -hmm. uh, in their later 20s or early 30s they have the economic reality of the Gen Xers. So nice. Bonus. So you, you do want to be young or old, which, which crowd you want yeah. to hang out with? <laughs> you want to so. be the young or old crowd. <laughs> That's right. We're giving you bonus discussion. We're here to talk about love, but we're going to kick it off with uh, sociology and generational gaps. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dr. Thomas Ord, give us just a brief, because we'll probably have you back on again for some more interviews, but give us just a brief intro to who you are and your work. And then segue nicely into a definition of love, full orb love. Well, I'm a theologian, a philosopher. I do a lot with science and religion, write a lot of books, speak, etc. Um, I'm a Christian. Uh, I, if I want to be serious just for a moment, I would say my, my life goal is to live a life of love. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's why you're here. <laughs> because you love us. Yes, I, I do try to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's all we can ask for is a chance. Just give us, just give us a chance. <laughs> all right. So we, uh, I, I will share a link to a brief article, but you've actually written fuller books that describe or define what you, uh, your take on love. And I'm specifically interested in, for the purposes of this episode, your three spheres of love and they will be familiar to a lot of people or maybe if they've grown they've grown up in the, the christian world they'll understand the references to these loves but you have a different take on them and i wanted to hear this cool well you know i uh, trying to figure out what love is is a really difficult thing and and it's something i've devoted a lot of my time and energy to um, and it's so complex it's really tempting to give a super complex definition 
but I've tried to make it concise. And so let me give you my concise definition of love and then move into these three forms that you want to talk about. Uh, so my concise definition is to love is to act intentionally in response to God and others to promote overall well-being. And so that's sort of the umbrella idea under which I think about various kinds or forms of love. And uh, the ones that we want to focus on here are ones that are, uh, take the Greek language, agape, eros, and phileo. And for me, agape, uh, well, first of all, let me say, the Bible is not at all clear about what the meaning of agape is. The word what? Is, <laughs> I know, I know. I <laughs> thought the Bible was a systematic theology, and I'm here to tell you that it's not. <laughs> it's always clear. God said it. I read it. What is that? <laughs> yeah. So I think of agape as, um, well, a, a little phrase I use is agape is in spite of love, in ah. spite of the harm, the hurt, the evil, the indifference, ah. the neglect, whatever bad, in spite of the bad, I'm going to respond positively, promote well-being, you know, be a blessing, whatever. So that, that, you know, often talked about, quote unquote, unconditional, rather say it's the love that in spite of what's thrown at it, it's resilient enough not to change what it does, how it works. Exactly. The line I, I like, especially in the New Testament is, uh, uh, it says, do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Okay. That's what I think of in terms of agape. Right. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. When I was growing up, I was taught that agape is the ultimate form of love that everything else, like if, if there's a hierarchy and agape is the greatest because it's this self-sacrificial love is what I was kind of taught. What do you... It's really a hierarchy. I mean, that really base love is eros love. I mean, that's just... Yeah. Desire, gluttony, love yep. of ice cream, things like that. Yep, yep. But agape is the highest, purest Love. Yeah. Any pushback on that, Dr. Well, in fact, we should stay away from Eros and Philos because they're just not good enough. They're not good enough. We don't even need to talk about them. Uh-uh. Yeah, in my view, agape is no better, no worse than the other two. In my view, depending on the circumstances, agape may be the appropriate or the primary form of love. But in other circumstances, it's not the primary or appropriate. And so it's not necessarily better than the other two it may be sometimes harder to you know not repay evil with evil it might be harder to forgive instead of getting revenge but uh, i don't think of it as essentially better or worse than the other two all right Oof, i like it a little pushback there do, my... you, do, do you see uh, these as uh concentric orbs or are they interlocking kind of like an event diagram where you can have all three being experienced in a, in a single event yeah, I think most of the time they're interlocking, that all three are present. But usually one takes priority given what the circumstances, circumstances. call for. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so now the other two. Uh, well, maybe the second one I'll talk about is Eros. That's in our culture oftentimes associated This is my favorite. <laughs> it's usually associated with sexuality in our culture, you know, erotic, et cetera. But uh, the, the Greeks and most in the tradition have talked about eros as uh, some linked to what we find as valuable or beautiful or excellent. Yep. And the little phrase I like to use uh, here is because of love. 
because of something I find valuable or praiseworthy or good or, you know, some way positive, I'm going to respond to promote well-being. Mm. And um, I think this one oftentimes gets overlooked, especially by Christian theologians who want to talk about how evil and sinful and horrible and depraved right. we are. <laughs> right. Uh, I think this one gets overlooked and it, it needs to be raised to a, a stronger level. Absolutely. Agree. So, it, and, and part of that eros though, there's a lot of, there would be a lot of uh, motivation uh, behind preserving the beloved, whatever it is. Uh, yes. My hunch is from looking at your photography, you have an incredible love of natural resources, nature, yes. desert, mountains, forests. Uh, but that's that would be part of that eros, that incredible attraction to these things that are um, that strike you deeply, touch you deeply. Definitely. But also yeah. turning to, I want to care for these things. Yes, a caring for it, appreciating them. In some instances, enhancing that beauty, but in other instances, just trying to protect it from right. uh, uh, from abuse. It, it, I think of also like a word that pops up is pleasure when I mm -hmm. like I'm it, it, and. It, and it can be hard to embrace that idea because, you know, a lot of evangelicals, a lot of Christians are raised with the downplaying your pleasure, especially any self, you know, anything that might be self-motivated. But, you know, we have that for a reason. There's a built-in part of that into us. Exactly. Yeah. And I think actually God takes pleasure in us in the world. So if we're going to truly imitate God, we also want to take pleasure. Now, obviously, there's instances of excessive pleasure or wrong-based pleasure or short-term pleasure over long-term, all those kinds of things. Right. But uh, pleasure is, I think, a good given the circumstances. Very nice. So we got agape in spite of, eros because of, and the, and the third last, one. The last one is phileia in Greek, and that's usually associated with friendship or companionship or working together and solidarity. I, I like to, the little phrase I use is alongside of love. And this is the idea that uh, we're cooperating with God and with others towards some good, toward the common good, overall well-being, to use my more technical phrase. Yep. And in some ways, I know some theologians who actually think this is the most important of the three. In my view, again, they're all equally important. But uh, in an age of of uh, solitude, loneliness, in an age of bowling alone. Um, yep. This idea Great that we're book. part of a community is really important. Yep. It also seems like it has a, a particularly powerful uh, social commentary, not just on the isolation and the excess of individualism, but also uh, the, the forces that pull people apart mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a polarizing kind of uh, cultural environment. Yes, yes, I totally not, agree. Not that that is the case today. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I wish I, we, we don't have any, anything going on in the world. No, no examples we can point to. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> all right, so those are the three orbs. And I'm kind of thinking as we go through our <laughs> compilation of uh, lectionary and resources that we kind of highlight what we think jumps out about th those, if we can, if we're that quick and sharp about it, um, what of those three it, the resource might touch on. Excellent. If that's all right. Okay. Excellent. Let's begin with the lectionary overview a little bit. And now we're not going to read these texts, but 
for the week of love, which is December 16th? No, 23rd. No, 23rd. 23rd. You're, you're, we're coming up to Christmas Eve. That's right. We're right there. We begin in the Old Testament with Micah 5.5. 5. And, uh, of course, as you imagine, uh, it, there's some prediction stuff going on. Bethlehem, out of you, will come forth. The one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Right? So, right. Uh, prophetic text going on there. Which just speaks of love. So, <laughs> Well, he does. so it does end towards <laughs> the end. He says, he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, the majesty yeah. of the name of the Lord is God. They shall live secure. For See, now this be, maybe this should have been called the security week. <laughs> the security week. Right. He shall be the one of peace. How is love and security connected? Well, I want to make a comment on the very last phrase where mm -hmm. it says, and he shall be the one of peace. And here it's not so much about the particular forms of love, agape, phileo, and eros. But um, when I talk about overall well-being, uh, I mean peace. Because peace here, I think, you know, the Hebrew, Hebrew word would be shalom. And shalom is more than just the absence of conflict. It's this full-bodied sense of goodness, wholeness, well-being, abundant life, blessedness. And so when I look at that passage and see that, that line about peace, I think about overall well-being. Right. Absolutely. But all we're right. not allowed to think about peace because we already did that week. Oh, all right. Oh, well. <laughs> Get that then. Scratch that. No, no. Well-being is good, though. I love it because it's a part yeah. of your definition. It, it, I mean, all these weeks are connected, right? Uh, yeah. Well, wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the the yes. uh, psalm. Do we want to get? We want to leave the gospel for the last because we want to really hit that. But the psalm talks about um, basically it's a cry. You know, give ear, O shepherd. Please listen to us, you who are enthroned. He, restore us. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The Lord. God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So, hmm. I see a little agape in there in the sense that uh, there's some wrong that's been done and we now need to act in ways to... Uh, that are good despite the wrong that's been done. I also see some calls for justice here. Yes, right. And um, I'm into, I, I find helpful the notion of restorative justice rather than retributive justice. Is um, the idea that God's going to kick somebody's butt doesn't really appeal to me. But the idea that God is going to act on behalf of the oppressed and those in this uh, particular passage that's talking about the, uh, that those who are, uh, 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 are not in power, have been hurt, or in some way downtrodden. Can I talk about the paradox in here a little bit that I see, though? They're, they're asking God to restore us, and yet they're also saying it's because of you. You right, have that, let this happen. Yeah. You made now, this how happen. Could, how could there ever be this sense that God makes bad things happen? Yeah, well, that's a nice segue into the book that's coming out. <laughs> oh, you have a book coming out? Let's hear about it. <laughs> yeah, I've got a book coming out in January called God Can't. <gasps> Writing words, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, one of the arguments I'm going to make in that book is that it doesn't make any sense to say that God causes or even allows evil. Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm still looking at the section that you're looking at where he says God has done this to them. But uh, if it's not here, there's plenty of other passages in scripture right. in which God is people, people believe that God is the source of the pain and suffering and, and yeah. endure. But well, what I see them accusing God of is having turned away. God's back has turned toward these people. You know, how long will you be angry with your prayer, our, our prayers? It's as if whatever they're offering is going into the air because God's not attentive to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not as if they didn't have some warning, though. <laughs> so in other words, they're just getting what they deserve. <laughs> have a, a little bit of that going on. They would be getting coal in their stockings. <laughs> well, you know, I really do think there are natural negative consequences to sin and disobedience. But I think that's different from saying God's running around punishing people and taking revenge. I mean, as I read the scriptures, the primary emphasis is upon a God of mercy, forgiveness, who is not going to exact revenge on, on others. Again, this is, I'm not saying the whole Bible supports that. I think the majority does, but um, there are passages that sound, that suggest otherwise. Mm, absolutely. Good stuff. Yep. There's a, there's a wealth of material just to preach right there from that Psalm. <laughs> That's right. But on to the Hebrews text. So uh, the Hebrews text for uh, December 23rd is Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. And it's uh, Hebrews, of course, a lot of sacrificial temple language. And here it can, kind of continues in that. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Oh, pleasure. Then I said, see God, I have come to do your will, O God. When the, he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. He then added, see, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Where's the love in there? I see it. <laughs> well, you start. I see. Well, I, obviously he's talking about sacrifices and how, uh, so we could go to agape, of course, and the idea of in spite of all these things, sin offerings, burn offerings, you've tried, they're not good enough, um, or, or they, they don't bring the pleasure. But in spite of that, I'm laying myself, I'm taking up the will of God, and I'm laying myself down to do mm -hmm. God's will. So we can abolish the first and establish the second. Yeah, I like it. What do you see, Craig? Well, I, you, you took the last line. I was looking at, uh, at verse 10. You, you just took too much. Nah. Well, say it. Say it. Say it. Well, but, okay. So the, uh, the idea of Jesus giving himself, giving of his body. Now, the other part of that is how much of that is kind of an Eros relationship with, with uh, the beloved, you know, the, the, you know, the people to whom he's giving mm. uh, his life toward. Right. I think of like Moses, right? Who, when he started with the people, really didn't care for them. By the end, he was like begging with God, please don't hurt and destroy these people. You know, like these are uh, my yeah. people, my people now. And they weren't his people before. They're his people now. You see okay. some of that with Christ, right? Like, ever got there? I don't know. <laughs> well, sort of. 
I mean, it's a human relationship, so, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a mix. It's my, a mix. my favorite passage, though, about that with Moses is where God wants to wipe out the people, and he says, what would the Egyptians say? <laughs> yeah, what will people say about you? Yeah. So the neighbors are going to talk if you, if you wipe these people away. <laughs> That's um, true. That's yeah. a good one. I like uh, verse 9 where it says, See, I have come to do your will. Um, that might suggest some philea love in the sense of cooperation, solidarity, friendship, collaboration. Uh, the idea that, um, that we must cooperate with God's uh, loving activity in order for uh, what he later calls the sanctification uh, is uh, made uh, efficacious to use a fancy word to make uh, sorry i'm not supposed to use this word to make uh, <laughs> fruitful <laughs> the word sanctify is about as is about as big of a word as we're going to use and, and we're allergic to this and for you two so the word sanctify i think probably has some kind of hidden message you, you was so. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> all right and then the gospel text is a, is one of my favorite all times it's a uh, luke 1 39 through 45 well through 55 yeah and the uh 39 through 45 part is kind of a setup. You know, Mary, she's received the news. She's ran off to greet her uh, cousin Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth hears Mary, the child in her, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb. Uh, Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaims, you are blessed. And then we get to the Magnificat, which is, uh, I, the, I heard somebody call, it's like one of the most muscular poems in scripture hmm. meaning as it's a very you know this is a woman who's not messing around you know hmm. and she i'll read it she says mary said my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant surely from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Okay, I certainly, if I'm, you know, uh, on the underside, I can feel the love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Definitely feel the love there. Plenty of justice there, isn't there? Yeah, right? A lot of respect. If, if you're filled with good things and you uh, are sitting in the thrones, you is feel there love the there? Feel the love. Is there some love? Well, I find that people, yeah. who, um, I find that people who have lots of power or in places of influence tend to see themselves as not having as much power as the rest of us think. In other words, I'm not sure there's lots of people who go around saying, you know, I'm just so much better than everyone else and I'm in this position and I'm not among the lowly. Just about every interview I hear, for instance, of a, of a Hollywood actor talks about, you know, their humble upbringings and how they've got so much to learn. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's, and there's, there's a lot of athletes who talk that way and a lot of politicians, maybe. <laughs> uh, most, perhaps. <laughs> so you're saying that the people who might be the ones on the thrones might not know they're on the thrones. Or at least pretend to not know. I'm saying that, you know, people in power 
probably realize they have more power than others, but they, not all of them, but many right. of them still think of themselves as the little girl or the little boy from the little place, from the family that they came from that really wasn't that mu wasn't much. You know, I've been listening to some of Michelle Obama's interviews now that she's plugging her new book, Becoming. And, you know, she doesn't walk around saying, yep, I'm so incredibly great. I had it all along. I'm so much better than the rest of you, you know. And, and maybe she's the exception, but I think a lot of people who are in positions of power think about their own lives and don't think of them as, you know, the hottest thing ever. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. So who are, in our day and age, the people on the thrones and who are, uh, who might need to be cast down? Let's stir up some revolt a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, the NFL owners? Mm. okay i can see that i can see all that. right uh all right well in the in the magnificent <laughs> that's all we're gonna go <laughs> well okay i yes i can see that absolutely for starters they control a tremendous amount of wealth right and they tend to appear you know in, are they working in collusion on uh labor costs and have they, for example, done work to hide over the years the damage that they were doing to the bodies of E stuff? Yep. Yeah. Yes. I can see that. So that's it. Let's take down the NFL owners. <laughs> there were some obvious targets, but I decided to go off like that with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Okay. Did you guys get wind of this uh, thing last week where the uh, this one doctor? put some a picture of uh, a patient who had been shot on, uh, I think it was on Twitter and got a letter from the NRA saying, stay in your own lane. Oh yeah. 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 yeah um, right. The idea that the NRA thinks that they're so powerful and so worthy and so knowledgeable that they can tell physicians that they should shut up when they, you know, encounter gunshot victims. That just, that seems like that's people in power that need to be, brought down they don't want anybody else coming in that, in that <laughs> control the dialogue or the, the narrative yeah mm -hmm. all right so who else let's see who else can we uh, lose as listeners let's see we've lost the <laughs> nfl fans we've lost the second right amendment the second amendment rights who who, who next yeah well, i'm not i'm not against the nfl i watch nfl i'm not against gun owners either but yeah, it's just the way that those things are done that ends up putting them in situations where they're unjust. And, and in fact, I think I can also look at things and go, uh, some of these things, we're talking about groups of people, NRA, not NRA members. Right. Like, I've yeah. never met an NFL owner, but I wonder if they're actually decent people, you know, yeah. and, you know in some realms of their, their life. Can I tell you, one of the owners, this, this blew my mind, right, okay? They voted before the year, and it was a unanimous vote. All the owners voted, yes, we need to make it a, a rule that you have to come out or uh, you, you have to stand. If you kneel, you're going to be fined or you need to be in the locker room if you're not going to. So that, they all voted unanimously. That is the line. And then in the week after, like two owners, I think maybe the Jets has won and maybe the Dolphins, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure the Jets owners won, said he would pay all their fines if they did it. And I'm like... I mean that's cool, but then why'd you vote? <laughs> why'd you vote for the thing? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. 
didn't make sense to me. But it is oh. cool that he's paying the fine. That is good. So I guess uh, he probably uh, will leave him alone, but the rest. The rest. Uh, can I say something that's more general instead of specific? Yeah. And that is, uh, I think there's a certain psychology that emerges in those who are in positions of power that, that believe that they have been called, elected, or it's their duty to protect the interest of the organization uh, that they are a leader of. Hmm. And so, you know, your example of the, uh, the owners of NFL, I can totally imagine them being in a room where this has gone on and feeling the pressure to have the solidarity of us standing together and while in deep in their thought, in their minds, thinking, I'm not sure I'm really for this, um, I, I admire people who are in positions of power on boards or presidents or whatever, owners, who have the guts to say, you know what, I know this is probably going to undermine some of my influence. I'm going to lose some money. It's not going to make everyone happy, but I'm going to go with my convictions. It's, mm. Yep. Yep. It's just it's an it's it's an openness to let people speak. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. Very good, very good. Okay, Are, have we tapped to the the uh, magnificent, or was there more? So, is there? Wait, 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 wait is you the assignment. We haven't even begun. Yeah, really. That's true. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, what's the agape in there in the magnificent? Don't everybody rush in. Well, the part that caught my eye immediately was um, at verse 50 about mercy. Okay. And then when this whole section, we were just, just banting about um, that's, that's a demonstration of what God's mercy looks like. And to me, mercy is pretty closely aligned with, with uh, agape. If it's this idea of rescue or unmerited favor like grace, that it's, in spite of who we are, what we've done, God's mercy shows up from generation to generation. Yeah. And can I say it too, where we're talking about this, right? About people in positions of power and in, in their day and age, it'd be political powers, uh, emperors, things like that, who are oppressors, who are oppressing. And that happens, of course, today too. We could talk a lot about that. But I, I read this and what God, what Mary's calling or asking or saying that God is doing for me it is grace and mercy for the oppressor because the damage they're doing to themselves yeah. over a prolonged period of time of doing this needs to be undone. Not just to the people underneath them, but even to the oppressor, what they've done to their own soul, to their own spirit. That needs to be taken. Code. So in spite of, if God didn't care about them, God would just do whatever, you know, whatever. But no, yeah. in, in this situation, the loving thing is I need to bring you down. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I want to address that issue in relation to verse 51, that line, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Um, you could read that and think, well, that's a clear revenge line there. He's, you know, just getting some payback. He's cheating those prideful people, giving them a little taste of their own medicine. Another way, though, is to look at it is to say when the proud realize how incredibly loving and excellent and awesome God is, and that they, in comparison, uh, don't have a lot to be prideful about, then their pride is scattered, it's, it's gone, it dissipates, not because of some coercive divine act, right. but because of the lure of the realization that they aren't what they thought they were. 
Yep. So in light of that, let me just put a, the card on the table. I would like to see Donald Trump's pride scattered in that kind of way. Not that God's going to get revenge on Donald Trump, but that Donald Trump begins to realize who he is in the light of the whole, in the light of God, and that he comes to a realization that the kind of pride that I sometimes see evidenced in him uh, is just not appropriate given the loving God we have. Yep. Yep. And that, so when I have my finer moments, because a lot of times I don't have fine moments in regards to Donald Trump and my feelings and things, but in my <laughs> finer moments, I see, here's what I see. Um, and, and, and this comes from knowing a little bit about his uh, history growing up and the affection and love that he's, he's, he felt starved from, from his father, his own father. Yeah. He, um, it's kind of known that he, his, he had an older brother named Fred and Fred died. And it was like, he could never live up to who this Fred Trump was in his parents' eyes. And he felt that, you know, he felt that uh, feeling. So everything has always been about trying to be that. And so I see that, I see this kid who, um, just has never felt loved. And so I want him to feel love, yeah. you know, yeah. so that it maybe it could undo so much. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's insightful. Well, I think there is something deep, a, a deep wound that maybe, you know, there, he, he, he represents a lot of people because some people, there's, there's a lot of people who feel downtrodden. He was their, their voice. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. But it's not the the downtrodden hearing the voice of of hear you know God's mercy lifting them up. It's it's that um, kind of strident. I will pull myself up, um, yeah. and then I'm gonna. Voice. But pe- knock people you all down. Yeah. And so I, I, my hunch is, I, I wonder how many people does his whole life story speak to as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, and that addressing you know with empathy. Yep. Is is really crucial. I agree. And very hard. Yeah. Oh, yes. Does yep. not make it easy. All right. Uh, do we see some arrows in this Magnificat? Yes. The pleasure. Let's see. Yeah, you do? Okay, what do you see, Craig? Well, I, was gonna, I was just answering a question. Ah. <laughs> you asked a closed-ended question. It wasn't open-ended. I was... <laughs> well, I could see. Well, oh, go ahead. Where, well, I'm, I was looking at section 46, uh, 46 through 48. Yeah. Uh, just, just Mary's response of just gushing. You know, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Just kind of this, so much joy that comes from what God is doing. Yep. Uh, pleasure. Yeah, I Enjoy. like that too. Yeah, I even want to go so far as to say that Mary's rejoicing and magnifying the Lord, as the line uh, says there, is not only potentially enhancing her own well-being because she's uh, she is her love is improving her own state of awareness, her own state of being, but I actually think God's well-being can be uh, increased because we worship God. In fact, that motivates me when I'm in church. You know, when we're singing songs of worship and they're talking about God's attributes, I used to think it was just sort of a reminder to all of us in the church service of, you know, just remember God is mighty. Just remember God's forgiving and loving, whatever. Um, 
But when I started realizing that if God is truly a relational God of love and is affected by what we do, then our magnifying the Lord, as Mary does here, can actually please God. And pleasing God means, you know, improving or uh, promoting God's own well-being. I like it. Well, and and uh, it, just in your description there, if, this, if there's this uh, eros, this pleasure in what God has done to me, and I reflect that back to God, and it affects God's uh, being, then God and I are both sharing in this similar type of love back and forth. It's a, it becomes a, a bonding yep. relationship. It's beautiful. Yeah, I like it. Ah, beautiful. Okay. And then the alongside love, Philea. Uh, yeah, I see something. But Oh, yeah. Well, she's, you know, she's accepting the role. Yeah. You know, that, that, uh, that clearly somebody needs to take to cooperate with with God, you know, and it's not just an invitation for her, though she's in a way, she's kind of a representative, right, of all of us who can say yes, you know, we'll come alongside what God's doing in the world here. But I, I see it with Elizabeth also. I, yeah. Elizabeth shows up and it's like, I mean, I, just my own experience with, with uh, when, when my wife was, was pregnant with our children and she'd meet another woman who was in a similar, you know, trimester or whatever, there was an immediate bond of, yep. oh, are you sleeping? Are you having trouble? You know, you, how's your diet? They would just, there was this immediate bond of, you know, two people going through a similar series of events and understanding each other. And so Elizabeth comes along and it's, it's you know, sure it's family, but I don't know how far uh, separated they were, how well acquainted they were, it doesn't really matter. It's this two women who are in similar conditions um, have this immediate bond. Yeah, it was good solidarity. Also, the fact, like, when you have a friend who, I don't know, do you ever struggle, Craig, or even Tom, no. when, no. Other, when, a, when <laughs> something good happens to someone else and you maybe for an instant have a twinge of, oh, man, why can't that happen to me? Or, you know. Sure, sure. Okay. So, and here, I'll let you answer that because, yeah, I know I'm, I'm pretty pure on that. <laughs> <laughs> but here's Elizabeth uh, also reveling in the good thing that's, that's going on with, uh, mm. with Mary. So it's, yeah. That is good. Yep. All right. Well, okay. well, do, you see, do you see it elsewhere in this passage? We kind of looked at different sections. Do you yeah. see, do you see? Well, I guess I could almost see it um, generationally. So our ancestors, you know, we're working alongside what our ancestors started back with Abraham and back with, uh, you know, all these people. And those are promises are made to them. And we're in that line. We're, we're coming alongside them historically, you know, in, uh, in the timeline. We're coming alongside now. It, well, it's all, well, are we coming alongside our ancestors or are they coming along with us? Yeah. Right, but it's almost the sense that they don't go away. Yep. Um, the the um, you know, Jesus, Jesus response to the Sadducees about the resurrection, and he says, "Remember the burning bush." He said, "You know, I am I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." You know, saying they're they're still with us. Mm. Can I go Bible nerd for a second? Yes, please. Um, Be the Bible nerd. That 150 begins a section where he talks, the, the, the poem talks about the things God is doing. And uh, the, 
it says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, one way to interpret that would be that uh, God is only going to show mercy toward those who, quote, fear him or respect him, however you want to translate that. And that sounds kind of like God's kind of playing favorites, you know. God's like, uh, I'm going to be merciful on the good people, but the bad people, you know, screw them. Mercy. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I really want to look at the Greek word there because oftentimes the Greek word translated for can also be translated with. And how much that would change this passage if it said his mercy is with those who fear him from generation to generation. Because that would give the impression that we have a role to play in this whole process. And it's not that God picks and chooses some to show mercy toward, but that we who join God in this endeavor of mercy and love are those who are cooperating with God generation after generation. And then you could sort of move that cooperative sort of impetus into the following verses and I think make more sense of them. Mm, that deserves a slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> is that good or bad? Is it, That's is good. Better, is it better that I get a fast clap? <laughs> no, the slow is like, yes. Okay, I, my hands are busy. I was looking up the uh, Common English Bible. I don't know if you've looked, used that uh, newer version. Now, what's it say? Um, he shows mercy to everyone from okay. one generation to the next. Nice, nice. He honors nice. him as God. So it still has that little bit of conditionality, but it begins with the everyone. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to pull up the Greek real quick, but it wasn't coming up. So <laughs> in your database here, in your mind, it wasn't. You weren't able to bring it up. Uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at. Um, oh, what am I looking at? <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I can't. I can't, I, I, I'm looking at the Greek Bible. It could, I wasn't sure if it was a Nestle Holland or who it was. So, mm, but okay. uh, anyway, that's, okay. that's geek, geekdom. <laughs> well, once Tom opens the door to Bible nerd, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, let's talk some resources for some folks who might be thinking, how can I illustrate or think about love during this season during right now and so we'll start with an article that is actually kind of challenging because it attacks well maybe not attacks but it kind of knocks down something that people do that seems very loving right seems like it's something that's motivated to do out of the kindness of their heart and there, there's a there's a there's a there's a very kind of sad feeling I had re reading that article. I mean, I, I'm familiar with these ideas. They're not unlike uh, the, um, a lot of the agricultural efforts that took place in Africa back in the 60s where tractors were sent over to Africa to help them farm where they had no diesel, they had no spare parts. It was, you know, gifts given out of the goodness of somebody's heart, just land with a thud. Yep, um, yep. And so... <laughs> so yeah. what we're re referencing is an, an article it was actually written last year it was actually written after christmas uh, more closely to the springtime of march yeah, thanks for good timing yeah <laughs> <laughs> right um but the title is stuffing shoe boxes for the world's poor maybe you should reconsider written by blank tommy for the baptist news global and you kind of just as a um quick overview of it he discusses how you know, people, yes, they are motivated to do it. And yet these gifts show up 
first of all, they show up in the middle of like the weirdest times. Like they, they come in the middle of summer or something like that. I can't remember, you know, some weird time. And then when they open up the shoe boxes, all these knickknacks and little toys and plastic doodads come out and they have no clue what the point is. <laughs> well, I remember one, one of the, one of, one of them was a, a child having a slinky. Yeah. Right. It's like, what, what, do, what do I do with this? And it eventually just puts it around his neck like a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not knowing what to do. And, and people who've actually been there for the deliveries have kind of shifted away, like walked away going, this, I, this maybe is not the best way for us to be using our resources and our time and that motivation. And so they, in the article, they do present some different ways, you know, things like actually things that I've used in the past, like Oxfam or um, uh, what's the one? Um, um, oh, I can't remember. Oh, Heifer, Heifer International. Heifer Project, yeah. Yeah, where the Heifer Project, yeah, where you basically, you're, you don't just send people these doodads that are going to just disappear after a few weeks but actually give them something that they can build uh, and use to better themselves. And I, I tend to be, especially on things like this, I tend to be a bit of a denominationalist, I guess, if, that, if that's a, a real thing. But most of the denominations I know, uh, because they have ongoing relationships with people in the field, wherever they have mission or service-oriented projects, they're a little bit more aware. You know, so whether you're you know, American Baptist, Presbyterian, United Methodist, whatever, there's probably those resources within your organization, as well as Oxfam, Heifer, and some of those others, yep. Yep. Uh, to, really, to really accomplish some of that uh, gift giving that, to kind of make it more effective uh, yeah. to the receiver of the gift. Right. Tom, probably in the Nazarene church, there's probably an arm that does some stuff. Yeah, there is. There is. This is a, this whole scenario is something that my family and I talk a lot about. And that is, um, you know, this idea that our generosity, our giving things, especially, you know, we say South America and Africa, because that's usually what we're thinking of. And but the people that are most impoverished, we know in our lives are, you know, somewhere far away. There are people impoverished in our own country. But when we think of extreme poverty, we usually think of people overseas. And so then it's really, uh, you know, those of us who want to be loving people, we want to help them. And, you know, this particular article talks about ways that are inappropriate. And that's what you were talking about. But I also want to guard against the, the other extreme. And that is um, deciding not to do the good because it's not the perfect. Right. Yep. That is, um, you know, because we know that our gifts sometimes fail, we might be tempted to not give at all. Or, you know, one easy out is to just give money. But there's something powerful about having a relationship with someone so that you actually ask them what they need mm. and uh, then provide it. And then, yep. of course, this article talks about the ongoing questions of whether or not it's better to give a man a fish or teach a man a fish, that kind of a thing, you know, helping them help themselves. And of course that's important. And I think we ought to be doing that, but I guess I want to caution us to um, not give up trying to do good things, even though we can imagine how those good things might have some unintended negative consequences. Um, Don't, don't give up doing the good because you can't do the perfect. Yeah, good, good, good. One, one of the things you just mentioned in there that's, that's kind of rich is, the, is developing a relationship, actually having something that you've assembled and somebody else 
touches it someplace else. Yeah. And there, even though that's pretty um, loose, there is a feeling of connection. Yep. Just a brief story on how that happened uh, in my first congregation in Kansas. We had um, a woman who had grown up in Germany, and she was there during World War II, um, and she she had the experience of being a refugee and having to live in refugee camps in, I believe, Holland. And the Mennonite Central Committee does a lot of these gift packages for refugees. They're, some of them are hygiene kits. Some of them are, are basic food stuffs and just a variety of different things that different people will get in different situations. And she ended up, while in a refugee camp, receiving one of these, uh, one of these packages. You know, so there, there was like a ball and a and um you know maybe crayons or um she remembers there's a hershey's chocolate bar but she was now telling the story of her experience of being on the receiving end as she was leading in a children's time during worship uh during christmas when in that at that time the church was actually in the process of developing some refugee kits that were going to be sent to somebody else and her story because of her own personal experience and now coming on with us you know she's now one of us um we we saw the fruits or the results of that yeah. kind of action yeah uh, it was very very moving mm-hmm. awesome 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 uh, uh uh tom uh the church that you attend in napa um what's its name again I, I attend a church called Real Life Community. Yes. Okay. And the Church of the Nazarene. Right. <clears throat> and um, doesn't uh, uh, Kenton Kenton go there or has been? Yes. Yeah. Kenton Lee is. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so Kenton, he's. Uh, I've interviewed him in the past, actually, for another podcast. But uh, and it was actually before the shoe actually took off. He was still developing it when I interviewed him so but he he heads up a thing called because international and um has the shoe that grows where he helps uh shoe (laughs) what's the word not clothe but shoe the feet of uh, (laughs) i think it's shod shod there you go uh, in lots of places where uh, they are in dire need of shoes because the a lot of unhealthy things happen through the feet in a lot of those places so yeah. Um, and, but he started, it was started with a, a relationship that he had. He was continuing to go to a village over and over and noticed they were wearing like bottles, you know, on their feet to cover them and things like that. So yeah, it birthed to this thing that's uh, really taking off. It's an amazing thing. So, all right. So the next resource that we wanted to share is actually comes from the Bible project. Tom, are you aware of the Bible project? I am. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a good resource. Um, I went to school with both of the guys uh, at Multnomah, Multnomah Bible College for a year, for two years. They barely remember me. So it's a, <laughs> that's all right. That was during your shy period? No, it wasn't that I was shy. It was, uh, well, we won't go into it. But basically, I left impressions on a lot of people, just not good impressions. So. <laughs> but the but the bible project is an is an awesome uh, resource i think um i don't necessarily always agree with everything you know but that's the beauty of it there are two 
guys who are very um, excellent conversation partners when it comes to discussing the Bible and theology behind the Bible and things like that. So they've compiled a lot of resources, a lot of videos, and they put four of their videos together specifically for Advent, focusing on the, you know, the themes, hope, peace, joy, and of course, love. And so the video that we'll link to basically is a word study video diving into the idea of agape. They, for their series, they left it just at agape and not, um, <laughs> not multiple themes. It, there's yeah. multiple themes. So they, they uh, put out this video about agape love, and I'll just read the description real quick for it. Uh, basically, the word love is one of the sloppiest words in our language as it primarily refers to a feeling that happens to a person. In the New Testament, love refers to a way of treating people that was defined by Jesus himself, seeking the well-being of others regardless of their response. Seems like they're jiving with you. Yes, definitely. You know what? I've got to actually step out. I'm in a room that's reserved by somebody else. So um, I'm going to have to exit this good conversation early. Sorry about that. No worries. Thanks for being here. Thank you for co-hosting. We love it. What a great co-host. See you later. Thank you. Bye. All right. He's gone. I was going to make a joke about, you know, all about, you know, he he can't stay, but God can. uh, Ah. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll soldier on. Um, But I think it was awesome that he was here for us. That was so good. That was good. Okay. but yeah, the Bible Project also one of the one of the resources is looking at the materials behind each of their videos. Their videos usually run about five minutes long. Mm-hmm. They're they're not long. Uh, you know, they can be shown in Sunday school classes. They can be used in uh, even a worship setting. Yep, uh, it's something to launch off. You know, start off a, a topic. But if you really want to get lost in the weeds, deep into it, they take about four hours to talk about each of these five minute videos yep and they break up their their podcasts into about one one and a half hour chunks yep where they go in deep and it's it's fascinating and like 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 you said cody not everything is is um you know you have to agree with the but the um the conviction yep. uh, that they use for hermeneutics i think is one of the things that's valuable yep their absolutely. Ideas that the whole bible tells a story that leads us to jesus yep which then Jesus becomes that lens through which we can begin to interpret other things. So we don't get that flat Bible where um, some crazy stuff in the past, you go, what? That's not God. (laughs) It can't be. I love it. That's good. And they, you can get hints, I think of, uh, of their take of how much more involved in the process of writing the Bible humans are than Yeah. Typical evangelical response. Yeah. I really appreciate that. So, yep. Okay. So that's a Bible project. Great stuff. The next one I've kind of found just in the last day or two, but it's an article about the heart of Celtic spirituality being hospitality. And it's written by a guy I really respect named Carl McCullman. He's uh, um, kind of a, I wouldn't, you know, more of a lay expert really on uh, Celtic spirituality and other types of spirituality that's not necessarily mainstream. So um, he talks one, about one of, the, one of the lines in that 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 essay that that struck me was hospitality does not erase religious or any other differences, but right. with a gracious gesture of hospitality, our tribal identities 
seems to become the defining factor of who we are. Yep. Um, beautiful. One of my favorite quotes was, was Karen Armstrong, um, uh, author of what is story of God, and a number of other books. Uh, mm-hmm. She, um, she one time made the comment of she hates religious tolerance. She thinks that's just a terrible thing. Uh, <laughs> tolerance is what you say about a rock in your shoe, but you got to keep walking. That's right. That's uh, right. She wants us to be able to appreciate. I like uh, that. And, I, and that, that has stuck with me. And I think that's what, what hospitality is. It's hospitality allows the other into our space and creates an opportunity for us to appreciate each other. I love it. Yeah, you just reminded me of something that drives me insane. You know, uh, and that is when people, I think it's in the similar vein, but it's when people talk about other ethnicities and they kind of, they don't necessarily say this, though sometimes they do. They talk about, they don't see color. They don't see, you know, so uh, we're all the same. We're all the same. No, we're not. We're not all the same. And it's okay that we're not the same. Right. We should celebrate those differences. That's the key. That's where we need to get. And we can get even into even worse trouble if we don't see the differences. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, if, if we don't see differences, we're going to have a hard time justifying to ourselves any kind of racism that we carry. Exactly. Well, yeah, but it's true. Uh, there, are, there are systemic issues. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's kind, of, kind, of, kind, of, kind of on that topic, kind of funny. I don't know. I think I mentioned it before, but one of the coaches I coach with, mm-hmm. a fellow named Cliff. Okay. Uh, Cliff and Craig were two coaches. We worked together at the high school and at, at uh, YMCA. And invariably, other coaches, kids, will get our names mixed up. Mm. So, and they've known us for years. So it's not like just a, oh, what was your name? I can't remember. It was people who know us. We've had conversations with both of us. They know us well. Oh, and they wow. get our names confused. So just the other night, one of the coaches who I've known now for, I think, three years called me Cliff. Um, before, one time, Cliff was telling a story about how people confuse our names and he in his story confused who he was <laughs> oh man but the thing the thing that i love and it's about it's kind of cliff and i have fun with this kind of acknowledging the differences that we see because i'm six foot tall weigh about 170 pounds and i'm slight i'm balding and i have a long white beard <laughs> cliff looks identical except oh, wow. that he's six foot five weighs about 230 pounds and he's black <laughs> And he doesn't have a beard. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. And, and we, just, we just have a hoot over that. That's really good. Oh, man. Okay, love it. So, yeah, the hospitality, I, clearly for me, falls in uh, philea, you know, love. Yeah. But also, I could see it even on the agape, just as you mentioned, you know, in spite of our differences. Right. In spite of what makes it, I'm going to open, even if we are enemies, I'm going to open my door for you, quote unquote enemies, you know, so. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's, uh, it's nicer to call somebody you don't know an enemy than call them something in between friend and whatever. Yep. Uh, You know, it's one of those things that I've done when I've been working with groups in conflict is, well, go ahead and call the other person an enemy because at least we know from Jesus what we're supposed to do. Go, I like it. Uh, Okay. You're an enemy. I'm supposed to love you. Okay. That's pretty clear. Yep. Uh, There's nothing really clear about what to do with acquaintances. (laughs) <laughs> that's true so just put me in that enemy category friend or enemy it's one or the other <laughs> i like it but, okay uh, but they both have the same outcome you know the, right. the, the next article you found i thought was amazing about oh, texas so 
church offers free mom hugs mm-hmm. and pride parade to those who need them. And I read that and I thought, that is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it said they offered everything from free mom hugs, free dad hugs, free grandma hugs, free pastor hugs. And, uh, Solid. and, and to me, that's a great, it's, it's agape. This is God's love. Not even in spite of, but alongside of too. Yep. The, the philo. Too. I mean, it's we are we're there with you. Yep. Uh, I, my my daughter, my older daughter, for quite a while was working with uh, homeless teens in Salt Lake City, mm. and a lot of them, uh, she would probably say a majority of them, were kids who came out LGBTQ, out of an LDS home, yep. and were kicked out of the house. Yep. And so for somebody to go there to be mom or dad or whoever and to give a hug ah, uh, would be much a gift. Yep. Yeah, Portland, the homeless scene, at least when I was there, was very a similar makeup. You know, people who'd congregated there in Portland, first of all, because they, they felt more accepted and welcome in Portland just because of Portland's nature uh, right. in a lot of ways. And also, yeah, because they just felt like I have nowhere else to go. So they were on the streets of Portland. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. And, but that, uh, I didn't share this article, but I did find afterwards another one where it was um, mom and dads stepping in and being su- uh, substitute mom or dad in the wedding uh, oh, wow. to, to give away or to, you yeah. know, whatever. Yep. To stand with. Yeah. Yep. Just to stand with. Yep. It's very good. <laughs> very good. Okay. And then finally, so I, this one, uh, I love Wendell Berry. I know you do too. Oh, yeah. So, so I, the minute we started talking about to love, I was like, I've got to find whatever I can. I'll shoehorn it in. But I, of course, I didn't have to because Wendell Berry just oozes with all of the forms of love that we... It, and, and yeah, just winds them all together. Yep. Blinds it uh, one, of, one of the fun things was uh, his, uh, which is not even in the articles, but it's his uh, love of his wife. Yes. Yep. That he refused to learn how to use a typewriter or uh, a word processor because... He would write everything out by hand, and she, you know, went and typed it all up for him. Mm-hmm. And he said, "What, what would I, what would she do if I, if I started, <laughs> you know, editing it myself?" That's right. I got. We want to be partners in this. Yeah, it's beautiful. All right, I just want to read one little the opening because I think the opening to this essay. Somebody else wrote about Wendell Berry's Room of Love, and um, specifically about his novels. And so that says, near the end of The Gift of Good Land, Wendell Berry writes, to live, we must daily break the body and shed the blood of creation. When we do this, knowingly, lovingly, skillfully, reverently, it is a sacrament. When we do it ignorantly, greedily, clumsily, destructively, it is a desecration. In such desecration, we condemn ourselves to spiritual and moral loneliness and others to want. And then, but as Barry's, as Barry's phrasing suggests, reverent breaking is not just about discrete actions, but about the kind of people we are. Most of us who exploit the world, after all, are not vicious and uh, are, are not so vicious that we willingly do things to desecrate God's creation. Rather, we do it through our carelessness, laziness, or ignorance, failing to recognize the connection between our actions and the health of creation. And so the real question with Barry isn't so much how we can break creation reverently, but how we can become the sort of people capable of breaking 
creation reverently. And this is why Barry's novels are so vital to understanding his works, for it is in his novels that he shows us how we can go about becoming the sort of person capable of such a relationship to the created order. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how to become the type of people who can become reverent, who can be reverent in our same actions. The action isn't necessarily different, but it's who one we of, are. One of the aspects of that, that um, I mean, when I, when I think of Wendell Berry, I, I always think of uh, creation care. Yep. Or not just creation care, that sounds too therapeutic, but just relishing in the beauty of creation. Yep. And then, and then respecting it as well. Yep. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. Yep. And so that leads me to a poem by him and I won't recite it, but I will put up a link to it, but it's called the country of marriage. And it's how he, it's like metaphorically, you mentioned his relationship with his wife, but he, he's talking in this poem about a marriage and it can be both either the marriage between he and his spouse or between he and the land and how they are connected together, his reverence and awe for both, you know, and how they can connect uh, to each other. So yeah, good stuff. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. I love Wendell Berry. Yeah, he's, he's, I haven't really kept up with uh, him lately, I should say. Yeah. But, um, so I'm guessing he's still alive and kicking. Yep. And yeah, but you know, slowing down a little bit, but uh, yeah, uh, amazing stuff. Still doing some amazing stuff. All right, so we thought uh, we would just list a few of Tom, Dr. Ord's books. Uh, it would be great to have him comment on a few of them, but that's all right. So what, what we do have is uh, we'll, we'll put on the uh, podcast page a link yep. to Tom's website where yes. he has all of his pub publications listed. He has so many, man, because he's an, been an editor on quite a few as well. But right. I specifically want to highlight the uh, kind of like the triumvirate of the love that he has, uh, the books on his love. So one, the very first one I read was called uh, Defining Love, a Philosophical, Scientific, and Theological Engagement. And that's where he really sets forth his definition that he alluded to a little bit at the beginning about love and then the three orbs of love and then connects those to philosophy, science, and the theology and, and how all those inform his view of love. Then the second one is the nature of love, specifically right. really a deep dive into the theology uh, around his definition of love. And then his most recent, well, I guess not his most well, recent. <laughs> well, but, well, yeah. Are you, are you talking about uncontrolling love? Yep. The uncontrolling yeah. love of God, yep. And so that one is an open relational account of providence. And so how God's, specifically God's, uh, not how God's characteristic of love sets forth how he. Oh, you're, you're talking about the uncontrolling love of God. Yes, not the essays. Uh, oh, yeah, because there's also uncontrolling yep. love. Yeah, that's an attachment one. He's the editor of that right. one. Right. And they're like responses to his book. Which, which are great to see yes. how people are incorporating these ideas. Yep, I love it. So I would highly recommend those. He has other ones. Love Among Us is, is a pretty good one, a response to uh, Dr. Ord's loves uh, ideas about love um but collected essays and things so yeah but a lot of good works a lot of good works how about and, any other books well and, and as he mentioned coming in january yes god can't how to believe in god and love after tragedy abuse and other evils the, the one thing i really enjoy about about tom's work uh, it came out you know very clearly in uh, the first 
book that I had read of his, which was The Nature of Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I picked up some of his other stuff on uh, rethinking the Bible. I think social media. Yep, uh, yep, look, yep. I've looked at some of his stuff on holiness. Yep. Um, but when I read Uncontrolling Love, he doesn't enter into it as if it's a, a cold, abstract, uh, philosoph- philosophical conversation about free will versus determinism. Right. He enters into it talking about people who have gone through such deep trauma that they're trying to put their world back together yep. and, and how they come to terms with that. And then he goes, you know, more of a deep dive philosophically. In God Can't, he really picks up on that conversation and goes, I think, you know, more in depth into the experience of those who've suffered the tragedy and the abuse and the evils and how they're, you know, what, what kind of process do they go through to make sense of these things? Right. Yep. That's good. But it's a wonderful pastoral uh, kind, of a, kind of a book, uh, not exclusively for the theological or or philosophical minded. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's one of the greatest things I appreciate about Tom is his, well, there's a lot to do, but his accessibility in the way he writes and speaks. Yep. Very, yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go into uh, a couple movies. Uh, <laughs> well, Lars and the real girl. Uh, that is yeah, when you read the description of it, um, uh here's a description i think i think this is the description is this the one from imdb but it says in this comedy lars lindstrom is an awkwardly shy young man in a small northern town who finally brings home the girl of his dreams to his brother and sister-in-law's home what's amazing is the the absolute uh, sincerity and clarity that that role has played lars yep. is there's no irony in him nope the only problem is that she's not real. She's a sex doll that Lars has ordered over the internet. Uh, but sex is not what Lars has in mind, but rather a deep, meaningful relationship. His sister-in-law is worried for him. His brother thinks he's nuts. But eventually the entire town goes along with his yep. delusion and support of this, sweet, of this sweet-natured boy they've always loved. Yep. Yeah, it's so deep, though. I mean, there's so much richness there. So when you, it, it, this is one of those movies that if you have, or if you can get a hold of the DVD, I would highly recommend um, listening and watching the commentary afterwards because they, they talk about their impetus for why they, why they chose this, and they're like, the whole idea was like, hey, if we could just grab somebody who's dealing with some kind of hand, mental illness or mental something that's going on. And we could put them in a community that their only agenda was to just love them through it. What would right. that look like? Right. That, oh man, it's so good. Well, what's interesting is those, those closest to him, his brother and, and sister-in-law, uh, it's a little bit rocky. Yep. But when others come in with this intention to just love him and create this community of support around him. Yep. It's uh, yeah. Well, it's yeah it's a great story of redemption a community of, uh, yeah love it and as you and, and the acting oh. so good. <laughs> like i'm not a huge um uh uh ryan uh gosling fan gosling. In, yeah gosling in general yeah. but man he is you know, he, he delivers he plays it with such earnestness yes. uh, that he's not looking at this this is some kind of farce this is a yeah, it's not, it's not like George Clooney in a Coen Brothers film. <laughs> right, exactly. Who knows that this thing is supposed to be silly? Yep. And can I also tell you one thing I really appreciate as a clergy member about it? Right. That they present the clergymen in it as 
his uh, they they're in a church meeting and the whole church is wondering what should we do because it seems really like weird like is this are we going to condone this and the, pre- and the pastor figure says well as always we should ask what would jesus do and then the very next scene is boom he's lars is being welcomed into church with the lady with the the doll uh, and everybody's welcoming them. They're a little shocked a little bit, some people who don't know yet, but yeah, they welcome him. So I'm like, yes, because usually clergy and movies are presented as, you know, oftentimes judgmental, not open, harsh. Defenders of stuffiness and stodgy. Yeah. And yeah. this guy says, no, you know, well, what would Jesus do? And boom, welcomed into church. It's good. You know, and, and some of these, some of these um, books – poems, uh, articles, movies, uh, it, it, sometimes it would be fun just to immerse oneself in these into kind of a stew and see what emerges that you can take into, into worship or you could take into a sermon or whatever. Yep. Uh, but don't think of it exclusively as, oh, I'm looking for a sermon resource. Yep. Okay, we'll move on to music. But real quick, the other one that we wanted to talk about, we won't do it justice, but it's the movie Big Fish. But I really like you got people need to watch it if they haven't, because it really is. It's a father son relationship. And the son is a little estranged from the father when it shows up because he has viewed his father as um, just out there and a liar and all these different things because his dad likes to spin some really good stories. (laughs) <laughs> and he has to come back as his father's dying and kind of weave through the stories to find out what's true and what's real. And in the process, he f- starts to fall in love with this, his dad all over again, but for who he is, you know? Yeah. So, yep. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Uh, music. Let's uh, talk about, uh, you're going to have to guide me through this one because I haven't really listened to it much. Kathleen Lundquist of The Father's yeah. Love Begotten. Yeah, Kathleen Lundquist, uh, the thing that, that caught me of this was uh, partly just the purity of her voice. Uh, it is just incredibly, um, oh, uh, bell-like. It just rings so clear. It's just a beautiful voice. But I discovered it through uh, a ministry called uh, Divine Office, and it's going through the, the uh, Roman Catholic Liturgy of the Hours. And so they'll you know have prayers, scriptures, etc. But uh, interspersed will be certain pieces of music. And uh, this piece just uh, just caught my attention. It was during the night prayer when I'm re- ready getting ready to go to sleep. And it, and all of a sudden I get excited to go, oh, I got to find this thing on Google. Where is this song? And uh, the one thing that I really like, the second thing that I really like besides her voice is the, in the second and third stanza, I think it is, it picks up an additional voice that's just like a half beat behind and you get this echoing chorus. Just a just a gorgeous uh, piece of music. Okay, let's hear a little bit of it. Of the Father's love begotten, ere the world began to be, He is Alpha and Omega, He the source, the ending He. Of the things that are that have been and that future you shall see evermore and evermore. Oh, that night forever blessed when the virgin full of grace by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bear the Savior of 
I didn't want to stop it. Yeah, it's, it is. It's it is just pretty. That is good. Yeah. Oh, I, love, I love it. I love a good acapella piece too, where uh, that uh, where the voice becomes an instrument too. And in there. Well, the other thing that's beautiful is just the lyric. Uh, yeah. It's just an ancient ancient uh, statement of faith. Ah, oh, love it. Okay, the next one, perfect for the season. I believe in Father Christmas by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, an oldie. It was one of those uh, first anti-war songs that caught my attention, partially because the video, and I had trouble finding the video anywhere on the internet, but the, the video were pictures of um, the, the um, I think it was the Six-Day War or whatever it was in the 1960s between Israel and the Sinai Peninsula between mm-hmm. Egypt. And so while it's talking about Christmas, it's really dealing with the harsh realities that there, especially in the Holy Land, it, it's not peace. There's not right. peace there. That's right. Let's take a listen to that. To it. They said there'll be snow at Christmas They said there'll be peace on earth But instead it just kept on raining A veil of tears for the virgin birth I remember one Christmas morning A winter's light and a distant choir And the peal of a bell and that Christmas tree smell Eyes full of tinsel and fire They sold me a dream of Christmas they sold me a silent night They told me a fairy story Till I believed in the Israelite And I believed in Father Christmas I looked to the sky with excited eyes Then I woke with a yawn in the first light of dawn And I saw him through his disguise Yeah. So I'm gonna have to go watch the video because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to find that original video. Yeah. Uh, maybe I can't remember if I found the link to it or not, but I did find a Wikipedia article that said I wasn't crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why it's so hard to find. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but uh, one of the one of the music geek things that I liked about Emerson, Lake, and Palmer is that the interlude between verses there is based on Tchaikovsky's Lieutenant Kiji Suite. Yep, it's beautiful. It's good stuff. And I like I like to watch them play it. Uh, just, oh. That'd be... Well, since one of them is dead, I don't know which one. I think, uh, Greg <laughs> Lake is no longer with us. Okay. Uh, okay, so one I picked, uh, I thought kind of fit nicely with the Magnificat in particular, is The Rebel Jesus, because it uh, it is a song that kind of is about, well, maybe we should ought to think about who we are 
in the Christmas, you know, story, uh, when Mary sings her Magnificat, you know, maybe we might be people who are up a little bit, you know, not necessarily on thrones of power, but maybe we do have some influence and maybe even some privilege. I know people buck against that word a little bit these days, but uh, we do have, you know, if we're living in a home and we're dry, we have a car to drive, if you can put socks and shoes on your feet, we do live among some of the wealthiest people in human history. So uh, this kind of takes a, a light-hearted, I would say, jab at people who will celebrate Jesus during Christmas and maybe turn their back on uh, the downtrodden the rest of the time. So let's listen. This is by Jackson Brown, The Rebel Jesus. The streets are filled with laughter and light And the music of the season And the merchant's windows are all bright With the faces of the children And the families hurrying to their homes As the sky darkens and freezes We'll be gathering around their hearths and tables Giving thanks for God's graces And the birth of the rebel Jesus Oh, they call Him by the Prince of Peace And they call Him by the Savior And they pray to Him upon the seas and every bold endeavor And they fill his churches with their pride and gold As their faith in him increases But they've turned the nature that I worship in From a temple to a robber's den In the words of the rebel Jesus appreciate that song i first learned about it actually from uh from brian mclaren he kind of quotes it a little bit and alludes to it in one of his books and uh and he says we need we uh, he the reason he brought it up is he loves the line at the end of the song i bid i bid you comfort and i bid you cheer from a heathen and a pagan on the side of the rebel jesus and he says we need more heathens and pagans on the side of rebel Jesus. And we, as a church, need to be open and welcoming to heathens well, and pagans who are on the side of the rebel Jesus. It, that, that seems to be a trend that's, that's out there, is that there's a lot more people who are on the side of the rebel Jesus and find the church as a place of disappointment. Yep, absolutely. Yep, uh, yep, yep. Okay, and I think the final two we ought to talk about is are you two selections? So um, yeah, well, the the um, the first one was was uh, with BB King, yes, uh, off the Rattle and Hum album. I think the second one was off of Rattle and Hum. Also, was that your choice or was that Tom's? I think that was Tom's choice. It was Tom's choice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and a good choice. I love it. 
That a is loving, a, a loving choice. A loving choice. Uh, yeah, let's hear a little bit from that. So, um, any? Do you want to set it up in any way at all, or let's no, just not particularly. It's just okay. it, it's a nice, you know, gentle hymn we should try in church. Wait, this is when love comes to town, right? Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> it would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Nice, yeah. gentle. Yeah, yeah. about that song is it actually if you especially as you go through the whole course of the song right. it does touch on i think several different types of love right and so it's got obviously the physical eros love there he talks about right. a little bit but then it specifically talks about jesus and, and, and near the end and how the carpenter came and set him free essentially so but that he could it, love then he, he talks about what he has done yep and with, without any real judgment on it Yep. You know, he just talks about these things that we would go, oh, that's a bad thing to do. <laughs> right. Then he goes, until love comes to town. So that's the right. love not only is an experience, but it transforms. It moves that's you right. out of where you had been into somebody new. Yep. I love it. It's good. And then God part two. You tell me about this one. I don't know much about it. Well, I really don't know a whole lot about it. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it, yeah, this was Tom's song. I'll put it that way. So I'm not sure what he would have said, but the, the line, the, the frequent refrain is simply, I believe in love. It talks about all these things that I don't support, don't believe in, uh, things that society might cherish or um, power might, uh, might, might want to, to grasp. Um, but I don't believe in those things. Mm. And, and it's all kinds of things. I don't believe in forced entry, don't believe in rape, but every time she passes by, wild thoughts escape. So we, have, we are in involved with some of these things that we don't uh, don't want to admit to you know i don't believe in death row skid row or gangs i don't believe in the uzi that just, just went off in my hand <laughs> right. um, you know so we, we we find ourselves in this world where we're carrying out things we just don't want to be a part of but we do it anyway it's yeah. kind of paul talking about you know those things i don't want to do i end up doing mm, i like it okay but with the refrain i believe in love i believe in love oh yeah okay i get it here we go let me crank it up a little bit. Don't believe the devil. I don't believe his blood. But the truth is not the same without the lies he made up. Don't believe in excess. Success is to give. Don't believe in riches, but you should see where I live. 
continue to read down through the lyrics you can see uh you know i don't believe in goldman I i'm guessing that's... he doesn't believe in sax yeah right? um, i believe that's the same goldman we're talking about his types like a curse don't believe that rock and roll can really change the world as it spins in revolution <laughs> yeah love no. love love and so it's almost like okay so i don't believe in this but i do it I do believe in love, so what's like the, almost like um, accusing myself, I guess, like. Well, we're I, complicit. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. so, so at least in some, some culture, some you know, political cultures, we could be as upset as we want to about our political leaders, but hey, they're just representing our, some of our darkest uh, selves. It's, right. it's, not, it's not their fault. We create them by participating in them. That's right. Oh, man. Guilty. Yep. Okay. And yeah, okay. Mercy. That's right. It's all wrapped up all together. I love it. There you go. All right. So, uh, and then we have a couple more song selections, but we'll link to our playlist that people can uh, kind of listen to and jam along to. The final thing I want to talk about, because we don't always include this, but we should, and that's a children's resource. Oh, thank you. And I have one. I have one that Tom actually, when he first started talking, made me think of, you know, when he was defining agape, philea, philea, uh, philea and eros love and, and, uh, and the in spite of, the alongside and because of love. And that made me instantly think of the book, The Giving Tree by Shel oh, yeah. Silverstein. And yeah. you can see that in the actions of the tree, all that reflect the agape for sure, right? I'm giving and I'm loving in spite of how you've, you know, um, maybe our relationship hasn't been awesome, but I'm continuing to love because I love you for who you are. And I love you for that boy who came and enjoyed me. And I know that boy is still in there. And in the end, that boy is still in there. Yeah. Yep. I love it. But it can be, and I always caution a little bit with this book because it does have this almost like giving to the neglect of yourself. And there should be, you know what I mean? That's it's a tough line to walk. And you got to be yeah. kind of careful with that because you also don't want to like, you know, stay in an abusive situation, for example, because, well, it's the loving thing to do, you know, or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's stick, stick with the metaphor. Don't read it too literally. Right. Don't go too deep. I don't think he was <laughs> intended those types of things. Yeah. But it's a beautiful book. I, my, my children love it. And I love the simple illustrations in it. And um, I think you could even just take it up for a children's moment and just read through well, it if you wanted. And, and it sticks with kids. I think, I think that was the impetus between, between, or in the event when my daughter, she was probably, I don't know, six, maybe eight years old. And I was, I was going through my first bouts of depression. And she talked about, well, remember that little child you once were that's mm -hmm. still in you? Mm -hmm. And she, she gave me some great therapy. We were sitting out beside the garden and she was just talking about that little child is still there. Uh, yeah. It's so kids catch it. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. That's so good. Oh, 
good episode. I mean, first, let's say thanks to Tom for joining us. Um, I wish he could have joined us for the whole thing, but I even yeah, just I wanted to hear what he said about you too. Yeah, that would have been awesome. So, but no, it, I it was great, incredible to have him. And we should plug his book coming up. Craig, I know you got a reviewer's copy. I got a reviewer's copy. Have you written your review yet? I have not written my review. Have you written a review? Nope, not yet, but it's going to be right. up. He, he encouraged me to put it up essentially the week as it's being released. So we kind of got good. until until then. Um, but well, I'm going to put your review up on our, on our podcast page or link to it that way. Okay. And uh, I know I'm going to try and get my review picked up by a couple of uh, denominational papers we've got. So perfect. Awesome. Yep. And the book is called God can't, and it's going to come out in January. Uh, I, again, we encourage you to read all of Tom's as much as you can about Tom's stuff, go to his website, thomasjord.com read his blog. He always has some pretty insightful stuff there. And then his and photography. Sign up and register there because then you'll get his emails. That's and right. every time he goes out for a walk in the Oahe Desert, he'll, he'll put some pictures there and you can... Uh, his photography is incredible. Incredible. In fact, he does have a book of photography as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, and if you do subscribe to his newsletter in January, he'll mail out a discount code for the book um, if to recipients of the newsletter. So you want to sign up for the newsletter to get that discount code. And Craig, I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. What if, so we've got our reviewers copies. We've got, right. we own a copy. What if we buy a copy and uh, we'll bring Tom on uh, in January and interview him proper, not just as a co-host, but interview him about the book. And then maybe we can give away a copy of, well, uh, of a book. Yeah. yeah. We'll no. figure out, a, we'll figure out some contest or something to do, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if somebody comes up with a one sentence phrase that describes best the thing that God can't do. Ooh, ooh, a challenge. Okay. Well, this, uh, talking with Tom, um, made me realize we need to exit with this song right here. Are you ready? I wonder, wonder who, who, who wrote the book out loud. Tell me, tell me. Oh,